Who couldn't get fired up after that, right? Wasn't that good? Can you guys hear me okay in the back? Awesome. Well, I am so glad you're here. We had a very special service last week where we dedicated this building to the Lord. And so everything that happens in here is for Him. And so it was a very special day. And, uh, you know, today is a beautiful and awesome day. Yet again, when I look outside and I see the sunshine, I see how cool the weather is. Isn't this awesome for October? Isn't Jesus just so good? Come on. Isn't he amazing that all that he has done through this building up to this date and all that he's continuing to do for us? Amen. Praise his holy name. Today we are returning to our study in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. If you don't have your Bibles, we have plenty of them on the right-hand side on the shelf back here that you can borrow during service, or you can follow along here on the screen with us. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, I am telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want you to know just how eagerly I have been waiting to get to verse 7 today. And I think it's very fitting that I look up on the wall, and our verse 7 is right there on the wall. Now, we had a lady of ours from Hazel Designs is working on all kinds of signs for this building, but I didn't know that she'd have those signs ready for this Sunday just so happened that God timed the hanging of those signs with this scripture. I think that's kind of cool. And so I'm really excited to get to verse 7 because verse 7 is the theme for our entire study of the book of Colossians, being rooted in him. It's also the theme for our discipleship program. So being rooted in Jesus is extremely significant. And while I could easily jump right into verse 7 right now, I'm going to resist the urge to do that. I'm going to go back and we'll start at verse 4. We'll get to verse 7. So I'm going to try to contain myself. So here we go. In verse 4, Paul says, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. What's he talking about there? What's the this that he's talking about? Well, if we look back in the verse right before this one in verse 3, you'll see he says, In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, that's the this that Paul's talking about right there. That's the this he's talking about. In him was the title of our last message in this series. So two weeks ago, we talked about in him, how important that is. And so if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. If you've got your hand out, that's your first blank there, all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him in Jesus, all of them, not some of them, all. So let's pray. Father, we invite you here right now for you to speak to us. We ask that you turn our hearts and our minds to you that we may hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, okay, who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul, the apostle Paul did. Great. What was his purpose in writing this book? Why did he write this book to the Colossians? Colossians. 
Come on, some of you know, come on. Why did he write it? What was he trying to combat? Heresy, exactly. Heresy, now that is a belief or a practice that directly undermines the teachings of the Bible. And in Paul's day, the heresy that was creeping into the Colossian church was the idea that there was some kind of secret knowledge or special knowledge that only a special select few could receive. And it was this knowledge that they thought was beyond Jesus, as if salvation were available in someone or something other than Jesus. That was the special knowledge. That was the heresy. So when Paul says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus, he is directly refuting this heresy. And if we've been paying attention, we'll notice that all through the book of Colossians, that's what Paul is doing, is he's refuting heresy. He is warning the Colossians to let no one deceive you with well-crafted arguments. How many of you know that Satan is pretty crafty, isn't he? Satan is the ultimate deceiver, and he uses many people and demons and methods to carry out his deceptions. And sometimes this deception can be very, very persuasive. It can look and feel so good, so enticing. And it can have some truth to it. Notice that I said it can have some truth. That means it can have some truth, but it's always mixed with, with a lie somehow. That is what Paul is saying here when he uses the words well-crafted arguments. We cannot allow ourselves to be drawn away by such persuasive and smooth-sounding words. I love what Pastor Ron Thomas says. He says the best way to spot a lie is to get intimately familiar with the truth. Amen. We've got to be studying the truth. You know, Joshua, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We've got to be studying the truth. We have to be so intimately familiar with the truth that we can identify the lie. And that means we cling to an intimate relationship with Jesus because that's where truth is found, in him. We don't focus on the lies of the enemy. We focus on the truth of Jesus because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Listen, evil is real. We all have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He hates you, and he hates me. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not just looking to tempt you. He's not just looking to help you to sin. No, he's looking to devour you. Devour means to consume, to destroy. He wants to take you out. That's his mission. He's not some fun red devil with horns and a pitchfork, despite what the world says about him or how much the world glorifies him, especially this time of year. You just look around at Halloween and how much we see people glorifying evil. You know the word of God says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. We're to hate evil. We don't partake in it. We don't celebrate it. We don't glorify it. Let's call it for what it is. It's evil. So we should hate it. Listen, the spiritual battle that we all face is real and it's serious. It's about life and death. And I want us all to notice how Jesus dealt with Satan when he came to tempt him. 
I'm not going to go there today in the text. I don't have time to develop that. But some of you know that when Jesus was taken into the wilderness, he was there for 40 days, and Satan came to tempt him. Jesus didn't try to reason with Satan. He didn't try to engage in a conversation with him. He didn't try to rationalize the temptation. He didn't even give in to the temptation. He simply refuted everything Satan said by reciting the truth of God, didn't he? He said, it is written, and then he quoted scripture. Every time Satan tried to entice him, he battled Satan by directly quoting the word of God. It is written. You know, that is spiritual warfare 101 right there. We've got to know the truth because to be able to wield the sword of truth, which is what the word of God is, you've got to know it. That's why it's so important for us to memorize and internalize the word of God. David said, I want to hide the word of God in my heart in Psalm 119. You and I need to hide that word in our heart. That's how we fight those battles. This is incredibly important because lives depend on it. The Bible warns us that deception is real and that it will get even worse the closer we get to Jesus coming back. And we're going to get into more of that next week. But for now, let no one deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And the way you go about doing that is to be intimately familiar with the truth of God's word. Paul goes on to say in our text, he says, For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. You know that word now jumped right off the page at me when I was studying for this text, and that happens to be our title for today. Now. The time is now. We don't live our lives in the past, nor do we live them in the future. We live them right here, right now. And so that means we don't get caught up in the things of the past. And listen, the enemy's going to do a great job of making you feel guilty and ashamed over your past. He will constantly remind you of your past failures. But the truth is, you're not in the past. If you're a child of God, then you are not what your past says you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what your heart tells you. It doesn't even matter what the enemy tells you. God says that there is zero condemnation for you as a child of God. And that's because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. There is now no condemnation. The enemy will tell you lie after lie after lie. And he's going to fill you with all kinds of junk about your past. But you don't have to relish in that because you know the truth of God's word. Right now, there's no condemnation. And we also don't get caught up in the future because oftentimes when we do that, that just leads to fear. It leads to worry and it leads to anxiety. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that we're not to worry about tomorrow. We're not to get all worked up about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or even what we're going to wear. He says that each day has enough trouble of its own, so don't worry about tomorrow. So what do we do? We live now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, at the very end of all that, when Jesus talks to us about not worrying about tomorrow, here's what he tells us that we need to do. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, 
and he will give you everything you need. There it is right there. That's what we're to do right now. We seek him. He's going to give you everything you need. You don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he gave them the Lord's Prayer as a model on how to pray. And it bothers me that there's denominations out there that teach you that's what to pray. That's not what to pray. Jesus says that's how to pray. He gives us the model. And in that model, he said, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Jesus was teaching us to pray for what God can provide for us right here and right now. In other words, what is sufficient for today? If we had everything we needed or everything we wanted all at once to live for the next month or year or for the rest of our lives, would we really depend on God? No, we wouldn't, would we? That's why that prayer that Jesus gave us said, give us this day our daily bread because we depend on him. We ask for what we need today. So we live now with a dependency on God to provide. And there should be a sense of urgency when we think of now. If we're honest, some of us are pretty bad at procrastination, aren't we? We put things off. Man, I know I am. I'm terrible at it sometimes. But let me tell you one thing we absolutely cannot put off. A relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot put that off. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. He says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Isn't that awesome? Now. Today is the day of salvation. We don't wait for it. It's today. And that marvelous gift of God's kindness, what is that? What's the scripture talking about? Yeah, this is the grace of God that he is offering right now for the forgiveness of your sins based on the sacrifice of his son Jesus who died in your place on the cross paying the debt that you could never ever repay yourself. He died, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave And he is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. So the gift of eternal life is available to you right now by God's grace, and you can accept it through your faith. It's not something you can put off. It's life or death. It's heaven or hell. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, today right now listen the enemy is going to convince you or try to convince you to put it off oh you can do that tomorrow you can do that next week we can't put it off because you know what we don't know when we're going to take our last breath none of us know when that's going to happen today is the day of salvation Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 it says this it says seek the Lord while you can find him call on him now while he is near He's not always going to be near. He's not always going to be in a place that we can find him. That's why we've got to call on him now. That's the urgency of the scripture. And listen, if you call on him now, then we can stand upon the word of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, that says this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. 
right now. If you're children of God, then you can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We've talked about this either last week or the week before. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, what happened? That veil that was hanging in the temple was torn in two. You and I now have access into the Holy of Holies by coming into God's presence through Jesus Christ. We can do that right now. So, as children of God, how should we live here and now? How do we live right now? Romans chapter 6 tells us, in verse 12 and 13, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. You see, as children of God, right now we've got new life. Scripture tells us you're no longer what you used to be. You're a new creation. Therefore, we should be living to give glory to God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. But now, you've got to be holy like he is holy. What does that word holy mean? It means to be set apart. We're not to be in the world, right? We're to be in him, in his kingdom, and we've got to live to be holy to glorify him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Love each other deeply with all your heart. That's what we're to do right now. We're to love one another. And then my favorite here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Now, right now, you remain in Jesus. You see, that is what remnant believers do. They remain in Jesus. In the NIV translation of this text, it actually says, continue in him. So it would read, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. That leads us right back to our text that Paul shared with us today in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. These two connect with one another, and you're going to see it right now. Verse 6 says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. We must continue to follow Jesus. That's just another way of saying we must remain in him. The race that we're running in this life, it doesn't end the moment that we receive Jesus into our lives by faith. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. We must continue to follow him right now. Every day we continue to follow him. Now, how do we do this? How do we continue to follow him? Well, Paul tells us in our text right in the very next verse. And this is the verse I've been waiting for right here. Verse 7. This is how you do it. You let your roots grow down into him. And then you let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Isn't that good? So let me sum up what Paul has been telling us leading up to this verse. 
He started out with saying, don't let anyone deceive you, no matter how well-crafted their arguments may appear, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. So there's no reason to look elsewhere for your purpose, for your fulfillment, or for your understanding. The answers that we all need are in Jesus. The truth to combat the well-crafted arguments by our enemy is found in Jesus. We don't get caught up in the past, nor do we get consumed with the future. We live for today, right here and right now. And our objective for today is to remain in Jesus. We continue to follow him. And so now we're going to come to how to do this. We're going to break down verse 7, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to break this down together. And this is how we continue to follow him. First, we need to let our roots grow down into him. The roots of a healthy tree, they serve two primary functions. Number one, they absorb nutrients and water that provide nourishment to the rest of the tree so it can grow. And number two, the roots are what anchor the tree to the ground. The stronger and deeper the roots, the healthier, stronger, and more resilient the tree. When we allow our roots to grow down into Jesus, Jesus provides the spiritual nourishment that we all need not only to survive, but also to thrive in this life. And the deeper that our roots grow into him, the stronger and more anchored we become. And when the storms of life come, and believe me, they will come, if we've got deep roots, we'll be able to stand firm and weather those storms. The more we draw our strength from Jesus by being rooted in him, the less we will be fooled by those who use well-crafted arguments claiming to have life's answers. Also, if we have strong and deep roots in Jesus, this will lead us to produce good fruit in our lives. And this fruit will show itself as the fruits of the Spirit. You can see this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you have roots in Jesus, you will produce fruit for Jesus. We must be rooted in him. So we let our roots grow down into him. And the second way to continue to follow him is to let our lives be built on him. Paul switches metaphors on us here in this text because as you know, as the first part of it, we were picturing a tree with deep roots. And now we move to this architectural type of metaphor where you've got a building on a foundation. So notice the word says to be built on him. On him means he serves as our foundation. There is no stronger foundation in our lives than Jesus Christ. Anyone in the construction industry knows that a building cannot stand if it does not have a solid foundation. It's the main focus for the entire structure. So Paul tells us the same is true in our lives. We must have a solid foundation to build our lives upon. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's very sad but true that many people try to build their lives on other foundations. Some try to build their lives on wealth. Some try to build their lives on human wisdom. Some try to build their lives on accomplishments. And others try to build their lives on personal power and influence. All of these foundations 
are like trying to build your life on shifting and sinking sands. Our lives must have a solid rock foundation. And there is no other rock than the Lord God himself. King David knew this. That's why he cried out in Psalm 62, verse 6. He said, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. David built his life on the Lord, and he knew that by standing by faith, he could never be destroyed. Now, the ultimate and best expression of God being a rock to his people is God sending his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to live as a man and die on the cross as our Savior. God promised this in the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 28, verse 16, when he said this, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. Do you want to be unshakable? Then the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life is the only thing that you can build your life upon. And this reminds me of one of the great hymns of all time, and it was written over 150 years ago, and it was called, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. I'm just going to share with you the first stanza of that. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, I would normally just sing that to you, but I don't have the gift of singing at all. <laughs> so I figured it'd be better just for me to read it. Now, this also reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 24 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Scripture is clear. There is no other foundation that will last. No other foundation for our lives other than the rock of Jesus Christ. But not only do our lives need to be built on him, they need to be built up in him. Now, to be built up, it means that we need to mature in him. We need to grow in him. And this is what discipleship is all about. This should be our heart's cry for everyone to become a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus. True disciples follow Jesus. They are fully devoted, faith-filled followers of Christ. And to follow him, we must let our roots grow down into him and that we must also allow our lives to be built on him and then built up through him. And when we do that, when we do that, look what Colossians chapter 2, 7 says. So we let our roots grow down into him, and then we let our lives be built on him. Then, look at that word, then we will grow strong in what we were taught, and we will overflow with thankfulness. So not only will we grow strong, but we will develop an attitude of gratitude. Man, I look out there and there's so many Christians that look like they've been sucking on a lemon. 
And they should be full of joy, right? With an attitude of gratitude. There is so much that we can be thankful for. We don't need to look like we've been sucking on lemons. That's not contagious, is it? How does that call people to want to be Christians when we look like that? No, let's have an attitude of gratitude. And that's what that text is telling us will happen when we put our roots down into him and we let our lives be built on him. I love what Janet posted back uh, in August on the band app. It was this picture of a tree with roots growing downward and fruit resulting from spiritual growth upward. And it comes from 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 30 that says, the surviving remnant. Man, I love that word, remnant. <laughs> Just saying. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. This should be an encouragement to all of you as remnant believers today. The time is now to take root downward in Jesus and bear fruit upward for Jesus. So we should never let anyone deceive us with well-crafted arguments because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Therefore, we don't look anywhere except Jesus for our purpose, our fulfillment, or our understanding. All the answers that we will ever need are in Jesus. And the truth to combat Satan's well-crafted arguments is found only in Jesus. We don't get caught up in the past, nor do we get consumed with the future. We live for today, right here and right now. And our objective for today is to remain in Jesus, to continue to follow him. And we do that by being rooted and built up in him. Listen, there is no time to waste. The time is now. Are you rooted in him? Is he your foundation? Let's pray.